Welcome to Profiles in Eccentricity, a show about weirdos, with your hosts, John Fahey, Aaron Peter, and Matt Brutzone. Hello, folks. Welcome to Profiles in Eccentricity. It's the show about weirdos, doggone it. My name is John Boyd. It is John Boyd time. I am the COVID kid. <laughs> COVID barely 18. You know that, Aaron. Mm-hmm, that's right. Joining me as ever, of course, uh, handsomest boy under the sun, salt in a smut. Uh, you're going to love the way he looks. I, Aaron Piet, Aaron Joseph Peter. That's me. I'm also in my residency at Dr. Infinity School. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, really hoping to close the loop. <laughs> yeah, you're going to be there forever, dude. <laughs> what, time? Yeah, right. Um, speaking of a real doctor. Uh-huh. A man whose tail I'd like to put in my mouth. Oh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Close to, the loop. To the middle of my screen. <laughs> uh, to my right and John's left on this screen, actually, Matt Brousseau is here. Hi. Hi, guys. Thank you. Hello, Matt. How are you? I'm doing all right. Your lighting is yeah. impeccable. Do you have Thanks. some sort I've, of lighting system? There's a light right here. And I, hmm. I moved. I, I, uh, my roommate left to stay with his girlfriend, so I have the whole. So I took over the whole kitchen table. Well, also, we have that, we have that bit of daylight coming in uh, from Just your left. Touch over there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's that good old Chineseville light. <laughs> <laughs> Don't know. That's, I think that's the old phrase. Yeah, um, you fellas saw that uh, Linda Tripp died. No. Yeah, yeah, she, yeah, 70. she died. Seventy. I mean, John Sick. Prine just died. Well, that's yeah, a, people will miss him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he died in his prime. <laughs> no. He died in his prime. How did Linda die? Well, she was a trip. <laughs> she was a trip. She was a trip. I mean, <laughs> any trips? So in one of the articles talking about Linda Tripp's death, they you know they kind of rehashed the whole Lewinsky thing and how the star investigation was stalling out until she came up with like 20 hours of videotape when she was taping her friend, her conversations with her friend. <laughs> well, it was Monica. audio tape, right? Audio. Yes, audio tape. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah. what I do and, with you guys. Right, but she didn't tell her, and she was she basically got off of wiretap fraud yeah. because yeah. she turned over state's evidence. Yeah, she exchanged for immunity, so. She committed she a felony. got away with a crime. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She Dude. got away with a crime to kind of do dirty work. Yeah. It, but in it's the article... It's very sketchy. Totally. What's it, Anyway, so in the article, they talk about John Goodman playing her Yes, I was just going to bring that up. Yeah. Yes. And like, the 6'2 Goodman, who was quite overweight at the time, played Linda Tripp <clears throat> memorably on SNL. And, like, who, <laughs> as he's talking to his friend Monica while secretly recording her at a restaurant, he orders a Bloody Mary and two AA batteries. <laughs> <laughs> two AA batteries? Yeah. That's funny. Good. They said that that um, she enjoyed the Goodman impressions, except for one, which hurt her feelings. Which I'd really like to see that one, <laughs> yeah, because um, I'm sure it brought the house down, whatever yeah. it was. Hey, Sarah, wonder... Monica, <laughs> thank you for the parade. I love it. <laughs> um, yeah, and apparently, at the end of the uh, grand jury testimony for Monica, they were like, do you have anything else to say? And she goes, 
I, I hate, hate Linda, Linda Tripp. Tripp. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, she was also but, like 25 uh, years older than her. And so, so it's just this yeah. weird, weird relationship. Yeah. Monica, well, yeah. Monica was, showed up as a, basically a kid in DC and every single person around her just took advantage of her. It sounds like. Well, they were mad that she had this job. Oh yeah, sure. For, you know, Are you drinking some wine there, pal. Yeah, friend. Was that Manischewitz? No. uh, Hey, it's Passover. Mazel. I was at the Hungarian grocer uh, yesterday, and uh, this is uh, Garamori. I don't know. Some Hungarian wine. Garamori? Yeah. Oh, he was in this first season of SNL, right? (laughs) Yeah. Garamori! Um, uh, and then we, uh, Bernie, no more Bernie today. That's right. Bernie's out. That's a, a surprise. I mean, he, he was behind. Yeah. I mean, I know he was behind, but also there were so many delegates to go. And I mean, wouldn't you think that things could be largely different after this whole crazy thing that's sweeping the nation? He's friends with Joe Biden. Like they, <laughs> he's friends. Yeah. Him he's and Joe Biden. With... Joe Biden was one of the few people who took him seriously when, or like became friends with him when he when he went to. Uh, I'd went be to fucking taking him serious too. If, you know, if I finished eleventh every race I was in, yeah. <laughs> be like, yo, this dude's no joke. This Bernie means it, man. I'm telling you, man. Don't sleep on this dude. It's <laughs> my Joe Biden impression. That's really good. <laughs> no wonder he does so well with black voters. <laughs> this guy sounds just like Don't Look. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I was surprised. Um, yeah, yeah, but I mean, you know, yes. a lot of primaries were getting pushed. Mm-hmm. Was, so, is Wisconsin still happening today? Yesterday. It was yesterday. Okay, so and, and are the results from that? Is that why he dropped? No, the results are going to no. take like a week. It said. Yeah, and I think they pushed New York till yeah. God knows when. So it was pretty much instrumental at the time. I don't, you know, he should. I don't want to even talk about it. (laughs) You know, I was talking to a few people and they were saying that, you know, with the way Warren's doing in the media right now in terms of releasing, like, plans for the coronavirus recovery and Obama talking her up and the fact that she still has not endorsed anybody, it it may be a good move or maybe possible that Biden picks her as VP. Yeah. Which, I mean, I think it'd be a smart move if you want to win over some of the progressives, but they were probably going to vote for him anyways. The ones uh, that are Warren heads. I, I've been seeing some of the people we know and other uh, people uh, trying to flame Warren on Twitter and whatnot, calling her a sellout. <sighs> hmm. I, okay. All right. Sure. <sighs> we just have yeah. bigger fish to fry right now than our own fish. Yeah. Right. And I say our, I don't mean Democrats. I just mean adults. Yeah. yeah. Who can read. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's not going to be interesting. Oh, well. Yeah. Well. Maybe. Matt, you got, you got, you got, you got a little go. tasty something? Yeah. For was, uh, I really rolled, <laughs> rolled into this one. I want to talk about another sh- a shithead, though. This is a. Oh, uh, hell yeah. This is a. Uh, uh, a kind of like a mini, a little mini profile on a shithead that I um, I talked about a little bit on the Victoria Woodhall episode. Oh. And uh, I was looking up someone else, and 
they had some fun phrasing about this guy. And so I just wanted to go into him a, a little bit again. Uh, Anthony Comstock. He came right. up in the Victoria Woodhall episode because um, uh, her magazine, he, uh, he, he felt it was indecent. And so they had people mail it across state lines so that then they could arrest uh, Victoria yeah. and her sister right. for breaking uh, uh, a, a law about mailing indecency across state lines. Uh, so, so here's a little bit about Anthony Comstock. Anthony Comstock, he was born in 1844 in New Canaan, Connecticut. Uh, his mother died when he was 10. Just remember that for a second. Uh, he fought in the Union Army. He thought alcohol was, was evil. Uh, he once harassed two bar owners, bar owners uh, in, in New Canaan so much that one of them moved away and the other one died of a heart attack. <laughs> Sounds like this guy could use a drink, you know? <laughs> As a child, he was a compulsive masturbator. You yeah. don't say. What else yeah. is no? Who, who is it? <laughs> I know exactly. I still am. He, uh, uh, he, he, he believed that erotic feelings are something that runs through you like electricity and that uh, obscene thoughts were dynamite. So when you, when you put those two together, your soul will explode. Wow. Okay. You know, it was a fun time for electricity back then. Um, uh, in his early 20s uh, or mid 20s I believe he married a woman who is uh, 10 years older than him nice mm. and he said that she reminded him of his mother nice mm. so you know he, he lost when he was 10 years old he, you know he had to reclaim those years. <laughs> she always yells at him for jerking off. <laughs> <laughs> she reminds me of my mom <laughs> what are you doing in there <laughs> well, you know, Dr. Infinity used to have a masturbation problem, but he licked it. <laughs> God, that's did so you know that? Did yeah. you know that? Did you know that? I didn't. I didn't know that. <laughs> did you know at that? All? No, no. Dr. Infinity, check it out on uh, Patreon, folks, if you don't subscribe. It's a, it's a real fun one. Yeah, that was, it is. That was. <laughs> So, uh, it's embarrassing. <laughs> he died in his prime. It's funny, he, you know, he's got he's he's got the same logo as Doctor Manhattan. <laughs> yeah, it's just a circle with the tip. <laughs> it's a thermodynamic miracle. Yeah. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, Comstock in uh, 1867, he's uh, uh, 23 now. He moved to New York. He has 350 in his pocket. He says he gets a job as a porter. This is from the New York Times, um, the the um, uh, uh, article about his death. Uh, most of my other stuff comes from uh, Woodhull, and uh, or from other powers, the Woodhull book. And uh, uh, so he, he rises up to be a salesman after six years. And uh, while he's working with this company, he finds that two of the employees are, uh, are looking at, uh, quote, indecent books. <gasps> oh, no. So he finds out where they bought them from, and then he shows up and just out of nowhere, by him, just with, 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 with no authority, just arrests the dealer. Damn. And he calls himself uh, uh, the protector of public morals, the self-constituted censor. And then the YMCA in New York City gives him a job to hunt down... Uh, uh, vice and pornography. Oh, God. <sighs> so you hire the compulsive masturbator who married his mom to hunt down porn? <laughs> Sounds like yeah. a dream job for this guy. Uh, 
Exactly. He uh, he starts carrying a gun. I'll take that job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Give me a gun. Or give me the porn. Show me the porn. <laughs> I get to steal porn from people <laughs> with a gun. <laughs> yeah. No. And you'll <laughs> show, show me where the really weird stuff is <laughs> in the back. Yeah. What's behind the curtain back there? <laughs> the beaded. <laughs> it's the anal beaded curtain. Mm. It's the beat it curtain. <laughs> 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 uh, so uh, uh, so he starts working for the YMCA and he starts um, you know just going around and just like f- finding out or he starts arresting people on the street like street dealers he starts breaking into book, basement book, shops like sh- sh- street drug dealers or street book dealers <laughs> street book dealers just yeah. guys on the street holding open their trench coat like, hey, <laughs> yeah media man we, we got media some man. Huck Finn we got some <laughs> Yeah, Story in, in, of in, in 1906, he he um, he arrested. Uh, um, the, he, he took over this art catalog, and he took uh, a thousand copies of the American Art Student, a catalog published for students that just had, you know, art in it, because he, he said it was indecent. Mm. Huh. You know, it just it had all kinds of just normal nude paintings and shit. Right. Uh, he went after Margaret Sanger uh, because she published a uh, a pamphlet about uh, birth control, and he actually drove mm. her. Uh, she she fled to Europe to uh, get away from the. Uh, she she was summoned to. Uh, she was supposed to be arrested and, and brought to court. And so throughout his career, this is uh, according to him. He uh, let me see. He seized. Uh, 1,300, uh, 1,300, uh, 134,000 pounds of obscene books. Wow. 1,900, uh, 1,100,000, one thousand, uh, one thousand, uh, one hundred thousand, <laughs> god damn it, 194,000 lewd pictures. Nice. Uh, six, uh, 60,300 rubber articles. The fuck does that mean? Oh, <laughs> uh, not art, you mean like, uh, rubber paraphernalia. Yeah, yeah. Not so necessarily y- articles about rubber, but rubber stuff. Yes. Dildos, French ticklers, butt plugs, condoms. Oh, is that what we're talking about? Yeah. I'm guessing. Really? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. So rubber thing, articles. And, 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 uh, so like Goddamn an, rubber shit. <laughs> and uh, 5,500 <laughs> indecent playing cards. Um, those were big. If it, listen to our Civil War episode if you want to hear about those. Yeah. Um, yeah. Never understood that, man. What do you mean? The Civil War? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, how to play cards, man. Um, no, no, not just jack like off why, 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 Yeah, why you gotta have... Tits on your yeah. poker deck. Well, yeah, or else? worse, or worse, you know? Well, I mean, back then, the only porn you got was like, you know, the Civil War one. It was like the drawings that your brother sent you. <laughs> yeah, but if it was the only place you saw it, you'd be like, hey, fellas, I don't really feel like playing cards anymore. <laughs> I feel like I want to play solitaire. <laughs> Exactly. Now beat it. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, so um, uh, Comstock said he um, he looked at and um, burned every single item, as you can imagine. Uh-huh. There's sure. a, a fire within him. Yeah, he fucking buried yeah. it. In a creepy <laughs> and, little room. Yeah, he started. Yeah, he put. He started started a fire and then put it out with his gun. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> uh, that's very good, Aaron. Very he, good. I'm wearing he, these rubber articles for safety. <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, 
he uh, so he bad. he uh, he started the New York Society for the Suppression of Vice. And I'm gonna uh-huh. I'm gonna send you guys over our, our channel. I'm gonna send you the uh, um, s- the seal he made for it. Uh-huh. Uh, the left part of the seal is a cop arresting a man. The right part is a well-dressed man burning books. Oh, it's gonna God. be in the chat. Yeah, Slack. In Slack or in chat? In Slack. Slack. Oh my God, that's so fascist. <laughs> here's here's what we do: we put people in cages and we burn books. <laughs> exactly. That's what we got here. Damn, that's brutal. <laughs> Yikes. Uh, so, um, uh, Looks he- pretty cool, though, I gotta say. <laughs> it's, no, it's no heavy pipe hitters union. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, he said he, he also destroyed uh, four million pictures, and he claimed that books were feeders for brothels. Huh. Hmm. Yeah. <coughs> uh, you know, and, Not and, really what you hear about. Books led me here. Yeah. Well, yeah. Hey, the Bible you know? makes me yeah. jack off. I come, I come to this whorehouse for the books. The library. <laughs> the library is incredible. Yeah. Uh, and he called himself a weeder in God's garden, but he also drove multiple people to suicide <sighs> because because he you know he uh, he charged them. Uh, and in 1875, he brought some of his rubber age his rubber articles and all of this porn to Congress to oh, uh, convince them to give him authority and, and make him a special postmaster general in order oh, to yeah. hound people and round them up. And so multiple people committed suicide because he, uh, he, he brought charges against him. Wow. And, but uh, he, so he, he, was, uh, he was slashed across the face during one of the arrests he made. Uh, later nice. in life, um, uh, he was hit in the head. And it forever, like, fucked up his brain. So for the last 15 years of his life, he was just kind of, like, out of it a little bit. (laughs) Played a lot of solitaire. (laughs) He had to have a lot of things re-explained to him. (laughs) Well, where'd I get all this cool shit? No, 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 you hate this stuff. (laughs) Rubber articles and plant... There's been a misunderstanding. I see the light now. I don't understand. <laughs> and uh, uh, he uh, he got in a tip he 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 uh, with Emma Goldman, a uh, uh, anarchist. Oh, you don't say anarchist and activist <laughs> yeah. and writer. She called him a moral eunuch. Oh, nice. That's good. Uh, and he uh, he died in 1915. Uh, uh, some say from the blow to his head, uh, but my uh, <laughs> and, and he always got in, in these tiffs with all of these writers and stuff. Um, uh, 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 was it uh, uh, George Bernard Shaw? He went after George Bernard Shaw, uh, and George Bernard Shaw co- coined the term Comstockery, which is censorship because of perceived obscenity or immorality. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I mean, you're getting into just suppression of, of art. Yeah. And, and, you know, politics. You know, you get carried away with, enough with that shit. And he, even, he bragged that, uh, I found this here, this is, uh, <laughs> he bragged that he drove 15 people to commit suicide. Oh, boy. Oh, he'd brag about it? <laughs> yeah. Damn. Uh, he was 5'10", he was about 200 pounds, he had these big, fat, uh, uh, Burnsides, mm. bu- this big bushy, um, hmm. 
And uh, he died in 16, or 1915, and uh, George Bernard Shaw said that uh, Comstockery is the world's standing joke at the expense of the United States. Uh, Europe likes to hear of such things. It confirms the deep-seated conviction of the old world that America is a provincial place, a second-rate country town civilization, after all. <laughs> mm. Oh, boy. Oh, that's very nice. And uh. the Com- Com- Comstock called Shaw, quote, he's an Irish smut dealer. <laughs> oh, boy. John would love to have that on his tombstone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's Big what time. I was thinking. Big time. Uh, and rare. also, uh, one of his uh, protégés that he tutored was Jay Groover. Oh, they were both for dressing up like You're ladies kidding. and shit. Yeah. yeah, man. It's funny how all those guys are... They're always so close to each other, you know? Mm-hmm. It's always the people that came up under, uh, you know, uh, McCarthy or something, you know? They, they, always, they always really find each other. Yeah. Really crazy stuff. Can we take a little break and then come back and do Aaron's piece? Yeah. Yeah, I got your right, piece let's, let's, right here. <laughs> okay, good. All right, let's, let's take a break and then we'll be right back. And we're back. Aaron. I don't know so, what you're bringing to the. I don't know what you're bringing to the table. <laughs> well, I don't bringing, know what you what, got. What I'm bringing to the table is a fine Glenlivet, 14-year-old Ooh. Scotch whiskey. Oh. oh, nice. This I think the 14 is aged in cognac barrels. <laughs> it, it gives it the signature sweet, buttery, smooth. Yeah. Rolls off your tongue and down the back of your throat. Right. Flavor. Tastes like tastes like like <laughs> like confused workers. Oh no, we put it in the cognac <laughs> barrels. Oh boy. <laughs> Glenn's oh, gonna we, be pissed. <laughs> He's gonna be livid. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> He's gonna be livid. Yeah, Glenn livid. <sighs> that's really, really good stuff. Very good, Matt. That's, that's, that's worse than both those dumb fucking <laughs> jokes I made earlier. Man. We had three. I think I had three. Here's the deal, man. You steal, man. Um, so I got something for you. I got something for that ass. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I was, I was, well, so, when did this spring up? Well, this was one I was going to do a while back, but then I went on a little rabbit hole of Adrian Carton DeWart. Yes. The unkillable uh, soldier. Soldier. That's right. Um, hmm. And this one, uh, of course, is a Spaniard. Of course. Of course. Always on this show. This is Juan, Juan Pujol Garcia. A.K.A. Agent Arabelle, A.K.A. Agent Garbo, uh, <laughs> Agent Garbo, maybe the most important double agent of World War II. No way. That's right. Um, Juan was born in uh, in Barcelona in 1912 to a somewhat well-to-do liberal progressive family. Uh, not mm-hmm. well-to-do, but middle class, let's say. And... Um, Relatively normal upbringing, um, but in in 31, he was drafted. Well, he did his compulsory military service, as you do as a good Spanish citizen. Did does somebody a, have the dryer going? Do yes, you have the dryer does going? Have, somebody oh. does have the dryer going. Can you hear it? 
Oh uh, yeah, you wanna you wanna do a little door shut on that guy? The door is shut. I can just turn it off. But no, somebody... no, no, no. That's fine. Right. That's fine. No, people gotta dry their clothes. Let's be real. Can you guys really hear that? I can hear the whipping of the probably drawstring, maybe on I'll, some uh, hot sweatpants or something. A little channel strip, so if a noise is uh, 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 lower than Aaron talking, it kind of mutes it a little bit. Okay. Yeah, I can go throw some uh, loose change and some nuts and bolts <laughs> in the dryer if that might help. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's nice. It gives a nice metronome quality. <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it. No, no, no. <laughs> I assume that was because from where you are, John, you can probably hear the dryer. Not oh, in my house? Yeah. Well, I kind of like, you know, stuff shit under my door cracks and on top, too, so I can kind of. Oh, you're locked in Block there. a little bit more stuff. Well, I mean, you know, there's people cooking in the kitchen right now. And stuff. Did you leave through chefing. the windows? Whipping, chefing. Chef boy RD. All right, Beef so... dope. <laughs> so, um... So, does his, his compulsory service in the military... Um... And were like, Under you know, Franco? No, this is before. This is before Franco. So this is in 1931, and he's you know he's he's uh he's he's not even 20 yet, right? He's 19, and he just kind of knew that he wasn't fit for like traditional military service. He said yeah. that uh, he hated horse riding, and he claimed that he quote lacked the essential qualities of loyalty, generosity, and honor. <laughs> talking about, <laughs> just talking about himself. I just think he really didn't. <laughs> Like no nah, man, that that ain't me. <laughs> nah. Um, then he went to uh, run a chicken farm in Barcelona. Oh man, um, sounds like a I great time. Game. And uh, but in 1936, that's when the Spanish Civil War began. Yeah. So now he's you know he's in the mid 20s, and the, the the Civil War happens, and this is basically they've got the legitimate Republican government of Spain. Mm -hmm. uh, and you have this um, this uh, basically military leader Franco, who is mm -hmm. leading the nationalist nationalist uh, basically revolution, and he is actually from the part of Spain where my family is from, and that was yeah, actually huh. yeah yeah they were yeah you know, well, big they surprise were, you know what <laughs> the trains ran on time and he kept Hitler out <laughs> they don't even have roads where you're from. <laughs> Yeah, well, you trains, told me that. Trains. Like, they, have little, they have little dirt paths and stuff. John, John, but John, the trains. mailman's fallen off cliffs Where and he's shit. from, they don't need roads. Trains <laughs> run on time. <laughs> Very good, Matt. Thank you, Matt. John, <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> the trains ran on time. They did. They didn't actually... have shoes there. No, because you rode the train. <laughs> Which, without shoes? So they were good trains. They must have been clean. They're on time. Mm -hmm. That's right. I'll let the trains be my shoes. That's right. <laughs> I'm going to the city barefoot like a psycho. Hello, I'd like a job. Was that a British accent? <laughs> we squishing grapes. So, um, Barcelona. That's right. Uh, so, so the Spanish Civil War breaks out. His sister's fiance was taken by the Republican forces, and Yikes. later, later she and her mother were both arrested and charged with being counter-revolutionaries. So he already had like a he, he was definitely not into Franco and the fascist nationalists, and even so, with these with the legitimate Republican government, he was not into them because in his eyes they were kind of just as bad. The okay, now also, can you can you uh, fill me in on something? Because uh, I'm not too smart, you know? 
or educated. <laughs> and you know that. I do. Um, yeah. And uh, I don't wear shoes. <laughs> I'm a simple shoeless Spaniard. Um, <laughs> you're frightened. Uh, you're you're frightened. <laughs> um, so within the on the Republican side also was the uh, communists and anarchists. That's right. So you know this the Spanish Civil War was kind of this proxy war for the whole world. It was kind of like a, a preamble to World War II, I think, in my opinion, mm-hmm. because you had all of the other world powers sending you know, influence their way. So you had the, the, the legitimate Republican government was aided by, you know, uh, the communists in Mm -hmm. Russia and Mm -hmm. the, uh, homegrown anarchists and anarchists from all over the world and in, in American sent troops over as well. I mean, George, uh, uh, what was the makeup of the Republican, uh, government, I guess, like in, in parliament, let's say in, in Spain, you know, I think yeah. I think they were probably kind of more left leaning, right? Uh, right? But a lot of I think I think the Carlist, socialist parties, like kind of sure, like Christian sure. parties, all that kind of thing, like yeah. And I think also kind of a, a heavy, hodgepodge, a heavy Carlist contingent, which was the monarchy of the, of, of Spain. I see, I see. Um, and I think we mentioned that in a previous um, in a previous profile. I don't remember which one, but I think we talked about the Carlists, and you yeah. know, and and that was the thing about Juan. I think he also had sympathies towards the the previous monarchy right um but they you know as is the case with um let's say more democratic uh styles of government what makes it work in one way is that it is diverse and it's and it's and it includes everybody but they turn on each other they turn on each other right the benefit that the nationalists or the fascists have is that they're united under a a strong man Um, yeah yeah, it and, seems like usually a lot of times the way they encouraged. get right, and it seems like a lot of times they get away with it is they uh, they don't divide until after they win. Right. Perhaps like in the case of like Iran, for instance. Right. You know, you had like a ton of people that were fighting on that side that were all communists and stuff mm-hmm. like that, and they didn't know it was going to be like a hardcore, you know, Islamic government. Yeah. And so then they were kind of like, oh shit, you know, he kind of just traded in. You know, one strong man for another kind of thing. Right. Well, even when even when Iran was making all sorts of uh, progressive changes for the better of their people, they were still overthrown. You know, well, yeah. again, outside forces involved, but right. Um, well, I mean, don't don't you think that there? I mean, there still is fighting against each other, but they all claim to do it in the same, the name of the, the strong man is never taken over. It's everybody underneath him is constantly squabbling to be the second in line. Right. Right. I think they're they're What they are vying for is position in the hierarchy mm-hmm. and proximity to the strong man and therefore access to power. Whereas the, the contingents in the Republican side are really just squabbling over who's more right. <laughs> sure. Who's, who's yeah. correct, yeah, who's yeah. more pure, right? Yeah. And so yeah. those were those gave him a, a bad taste in his mouth for both the nationalists and the Republican side. Um, he, you know, there's, a, again, a lot of infighting between them. And also he really wasn't, like, vibing with the anarchists, like, kind of guerrilla terrorist-style tactics. He thought it was yeah. kind of un, uncouth. Um and you know the Nazis also, you know they sent they sent soldiers to to help Franco because they considered you know him a friendly fascist. Yeah. Um, 
Irish fascist soldiers and Irish communist soldiers also. Mm-hmm. We talked about yeah. that before. We did. Yeah. Um, it, like, it's it really was kind crazy. Of Everybody piled on. Yeah. <laughs> and then, yeah, you know, and then Spain remained neutral through the war, through World War II. Yeah. You know, yeah. Was, Hitler thought that he was going to have another ally in Franco. And Franco yeah, was like, well, I mean, nah, nah, come over here and I'll talk you to death. Yeah, yeah. That, 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 that Western, to have the Western push would have been oh, a push they, from to the have West. The Iberian, if they had the Iberian yeah. Peninsula, it would have changed the tide of the war, but they were cut off at the Pyrenees. Mm-hmm. Um, it's pretty clutch move. So, again, you're welcome, uh, <laughs> the rest of the world, for Franco. Overthinking <laughs> Spanish fascism. Yes. Oh, okay, cool. It's going to be a fun blurb about this. Sometimes don't you need a strong man? Don't you need to do a Caesar? Don't, don't argue. Haven't you don't seen argue Dark this Knight? dumb thing. Haven't you seen Dark Knight? <laughs> yeah, I've seen Dark Knight. Yeah. Okay. So, anyways. So, during his time... Wear the, the mask to protect the ones you love. <laughs> and to let the cops know you're white. <laughs> he, so, so, Juan deserts his post in the Republican Army and goes back to being a chicken farmer, this time near the French border. Um, and he actually, he rejoins the Republican Army uh, with false papers. So, he gets some friends... <laughs> <laughs> to draw up false papers, rejoins the Republican military with the intention of deserting as soon as possible <laughs> <laughs> and uh, volunteering to lay telegraph lines near the front lines and deserts to the nationalist side. Is, so is he joining just to sabotage or is, was he forced to join? No. So the second time he joins, he joins with the intent of deserting. Yeah. Okay. Because he um, figured that will hurt them to, at least. To what? Deserting to what? To the fascists? Uh, yes, he deserts to the fascists. Okay. During so, the Battle of Ebro in oh, 38. Uh, oh, so this is part of his... Um, is this this part is of before build- he's even... This is before he's even building not, his resume. This, this is, not, ju- this is oh, not even okay. sanctioned. This is just his idea. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So he... You know, he because he figures, well, fuck these, you know, the people that I thought were the legitimate government, they're all squabbling and infighting and treating family members like shit. People that I know treating them like shit. Well, mm-hmm. I'm gonna I'll try the nationalists, I guess, right? Over there, he's still he's treated like shit there. Um <laughs> Well uh, after he defects. Yeah, so now he defects to the national side and even them he doesn't like the he doesn't like how surprisingly fascist they are. And he his colonel when 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 Juan expresses sympathy for the monarchy, his colonel beats the shit out of him and throws him in jail. Oh, Jesus That's amazing. Ain't, ain't it a um, bitch though? Ain't it a bitch though where it's like Benedict Arnold he 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 uh, becomes a traitor. Or are you gonna are you gonna defend Benedict Arnold right now? No, no, I'm just saying, ain't it, ain't it a bitch when the guy who's like he's like, hey, I'll I'll I'll, uh, I'll help the British, and the British are yeah. like, hey man, you're a fucking traitor. Fuck you. Thanks yeah, for the help, but fuck you. off, you fucking yeah, asshole. Thanks, but no thanks. Yeah, it's <laughs> well, it's yeah. like hey, it's like the, oh, cop, man, I'll, the cops. I'll cops always my, call you a snitch. Yeah, yeah. I'll, yeah, I'll yeah. cheat on my girlfriend with you, and then she goes and tells your girlfriend. Yeah, you're a cheater. And now you're not getting laid by anybody. It's fucking bullshit. <laughs> I don't fucking you got to go to doctor. You got to go to doctor infinity school. <laughs> <laughs> infinity medical. <laughs> every um, every 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 cure is just. Yeah. You know, Aaron, two things. What were what were the three things he couldn't he couldn't do in the army? Generosity, loyalty, oh, yeah, yeah, what yeah. else? Uh, loyalty, generosity, and honor. He wasn't good at it, he said. Yeah. It's important to know your limitations. 
I mean, but he still his. I think his mom was Catholic, and so. And his dad was like mad progressive, so I think there was this like interesting influence with him that he still had a good sense of right and wrong, and yeah. a sense and a sense of duty. Mm-hmm. But I didn't. I don't think he. The options that were presented to him were this uh, fractured government that couldn't decide what it was, and the other yeah. option was a military dictatorship, and so which kind of leads him down this road to which I'll get to, but. Um, you know, he was so he gets the shit kicked out of he gets him. A, you know, he's a reluctant participant in this man of civil war. The Republican side treats him like shit. The nationalists treat him like shit. Um, now, tell me his name again one more time. Too. His name is Juan Pujol Garcia. Okay. Okay. Um, so he 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 leaves the his military service with a you know loathing of both fascism and communism, mm-hmm. um, and by extension, Soviet Union and nazi germany he's not a fan mm-hmm. of either of them uh he did say that he was proud that he had managed to serve both sides of the of the war without firing a single bullet uh, uh-huh. so he's discharged he meets this woman named araceli gonzalez and now we're talking uh, he, he marries her she's a very she's a beautiful buxom spanish buxom. woman oh, that's right dear god and she, i think she works at the bank of spain and that comes into play later when she he uses her connections really um so now, by this point, it's like 1939, and things are heating Germany, up. <laughs> Germany has already invaded Poland. Spain has declared themselves neutral, and in 39, Britain goes to war with Germany. And at, I think at this point is when he decides to um, put into action those things I was telling you about: this kind of sense of duty and uh, a sense of right and wrong. And he just he tries to help out Britain in their war against Germany. Uh, and he he approaches the British three different times with offers to spy for them, and they basically say thanks but no thanks. You have no, mm-hmm. like you've done nothing. You fired no bullets mm-hmm. in the two wars that you served. Yeah, and you you don't have any loyalty, honor, or generosity, right? Your right. words. <laughs> so after the three, you know, he even through his wife through the banking connections, she tries to vouch for him, but still nothing. So he decides just to like be an entrepreneur spy and so he decides he will that he would establish himself as a german agent before approaching the british again so he builds his resume spying for the germans right so he creates an identity (laughs) as a fanatic pro-nazi spanish government official that who could travel to london on official business he got a fake spanish diplomatic passport by tricking a printer into thinking that he worked for the Spanish embassy in Lisbon, Portugal. Damn. None of that was true. What do you uh, think the trick was? Uh, one simple trick. I think it was something. <laughs> yeah, printers hate mm-hmm. it. Well, back then, like, you could just, like, say. <laughs> you won't last four years playing this game. That's so dumb. So. It sounds like a sitcom, though. Oh, you know, oh dude, it, it, it totally it, is, ex- except for like how fucking mad real it was. He can he contacted an Abwehr Abwehr agent in Madrid, and Abwehr was um, the uh, the German spy service kind of thing, um, hmm. and they accepted him based on these fake documents. They gave him like a you know espionage course for dummies. Uh, they told him how to do like secret writing. They gave him a bottle of invisible ink, a code book and 600 pounds. Uh, 
Uh, this is stuff expenses. you can mail away as like a sixth grader. You could, you could. Totally. totally. Spike he, it. Yeah, spike he got a spike kit out of the back of Boy's <laughs> Life. <laughs> so he, he got instructions to move to uh, Britain and recruit a network of British agents. So he was offering Germany, like, you know, to become, I'll become a spy for you, a double agent for you. So he posed as a Spanish official who was flying to London. And um, this is this is when he's in Lisbon, Portugal now. So he poses to Portuguese officials that he is a Spanish official flying to London. He makes contact with Nazi officials in Madrid. And he tells them, I'm interested in spying on Britain for the Third Reich. So he starts sending the Nazis fake information that they thought was from London, which was at, but it was actually mailed from Lisbon to Madrid. <laughs> so he becomes like an independent contractor, double agent for Britain that Britain didn't even know they had. Whoa. Right? Yeah, every, every, every piece of mail just starts with uh, just some British <laughs> idiom. And they're like, oh, yeah, this must six, be from London. Yes, yeah, exactly. <laughs> pip, pip, and cheerio, <laughs> mein Führer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so he moves to Lisbon, never sets foot in London. He moves to Lisbon, Portugal, and he uses... He uses I thought you said Lisbon. No. <laughs> London. He, he moves, no. He's in, he's in Portugal, and he uses encyclopedias, reference books, magazines, and a tourist guide to Britain. It's... And newsreel reports that he saw in cinemas to create credible reports that appeared like they came from London. That's great. So, like, he would throw details in his, like, um, in his reports and travel expenses that would check out. Like, he would get stuff from the rail- British Railway Guide and be like, oh, I ate at the fucking whatever cafe <laughs> yeah. off of this stop. Uh, here's my yeah. expense reports. He's catfishing. <laughs> Yeah, so, and he, he <laughs> stopped I mean, at the Sparrow in Piccadilly Circus. <laughs> oh boy! Authentic so, London he, food. So he also, you know, at this point, you have to uh, remember that you know all, all of Europe had different currencies mm. at this point, and they weren't under the euro yet, right? So weird. And he also didn't <laughs> understand the non-decimal system that that Lent, that Britain was using. So like he would just sub- <laughs> so at the time, Britain's Great Britain's currency was the pound sterling, which was yes. divided into 20 shillings. And mm-hmm. each shilling had 12 pence. And yes. this was just like too much for him. <laughs> so, <laughs> so he would just like tally up his receipts and not add them up. He would just be like, I just itemized them and sent them in because I don't care to nor have the time to add everything up. So, and he would just say, oh, I'll send you the total later. But in the meantime, here are my receipts. But he must have just seemed like a busy guy then. He's he too was busy. busy because he was busy creating a fake network of 27 different secret agents who didn't exist. Wow. Each with their own backstory and biography. Yeah. He had never this guy been... has one eye. <laughs> oh, man, he's a real character. I think he's yeah. gay, too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know he is. He smokes a pipe and shit. Oh, this guy really is a eccentric. <laughs> So now because he had never visited the UK, sometimes in his um, in his reports he would make kind of rookie mistakes. Like he he said that uh, one of his contacts, totally fake, in Glasgow, he said, "Oh, this guy, he would do anything for a liter of wine." But in Scotland, they weren't using the metric system, and Scots don't drink wine; they drink whiskey <laughs> or beer. Right. But the the Germans like they 
didn't give they didn't get it they didn't give a shit he was just sending so much otherwise credible believable information that they looked over it um now the thing was that he was sending so much information to the germans and so much that was believable that mi5 the british secret service started an investigation into who is this guy Holy shit. We gotta right? find this guy in Scotland. So he he was turned down from them three times. And within, I don't know, a year, two years, he's making so much noise in the signal core that they decide to find out who this guy is, right? It's <laughs> even I'm an apolitical Spaniard. <laughs> well, this guy could be anybody. Me? So he, he has a whole so they, spy they network. Want, the guy without honor <laughs> or generosity. I can't ride a horse. Loyalty? Don't even think about it. But there must have been like there's someone in London who is sent to Glasgow to uh, find the wine drinker. <laughs> yeah, you, your task is to find this wine drinking homosexual in Glasgow <laughs> and bring only, him to justice. <laughs> the only wine drinker in and Scotland. He, and he drinks it by the leader, which is preposterous. <laughs> So Juan approaches the United States in 41 after they, well, I guess at this point, 42, they had entered the war and he contacts U.S. Navy Lieutenant Patrick Demarest in the Naval, the U.S. Navy's attache in Lisbon, Portugal. And it was the American who recognized the Spaniard's potential. So this Navy Lieutenant connects his British counter, contacts his British counterparts and they're like, oh, this is the guy we've been looking for. So they were they the US guy connects the British to Pujol and he gets uh basically brought in as a double agent. And he gets the code name Bovril, which was like a drink concentrate. We all have these kitschy names. Um and he gets uh he gets connected with this guy Mills with the British office, but that's quickly changed because uh, Mills doesn't speak Spanish. <laughs> uh, oh. But the main thing that Mills contributed to this whole story was that he said we should change his name from Bovril uh, because that doesn't make any sense. This guy is such a good actor. We should name his code name should be after the greatest actor in the world, Greta Garbo. Whoa. So we'll name him Agent Garbo. <laughs> so from then, on, from then on, on the British side, he is known as Agent Garbo. <laughs> on the German side, he is known as um, Agent Ar- Arbella because he named it was a portmanteau of his wife Araceli and Bella, uh, beautiful, and uh, so he was Arbella in on the German office. So he had two, aka Arbala, <laughs> aka Richard Bala. That, that's, a, that's exactly right. <laughs> that's exactly right. Is that right? <laughs> Sam Speed, <laughs> Dick Baller, <laughs> Richard Baller. So, um, so uh, Mills, his initial handler, is dropped. Is, is kicked off because he doesn't speak Spanish. They give him this guy, Thomas Mills, Tomas Mills, who speaks Spanish. He's a British national, and they become real tight. Um, together, Harris and Pujol wrote 315 letters of, of averaging about 2,000 words each sent to the Germans. Uh, again, 27 
independent personalities, independent spies with their own backstories, their own case log, like everything. And they all have the same handwriting. No, they didn't, which is crazy. Yeah, sometimes he'd write with his left hand so it felt like somebody else. Really? They said that um, his his spy network was so efficient and verbose that his German handlers were overwhelmed with the content that they made no further attempts to recruit any spies in the UK. (laughs) He was the sole spy that the Germans had in the UK, and he was a double agent. (laughs) He's a one-man spying machine. Exactly, and he was also unique in that he was, um, in terms of double agents, is that he deliberately set out to become one. (laughs) Whereas all other double agents were spies that were turned. <clears throat> so he didn't have to work with a hand like any others like um guards or handlers other than Mills who was a translator. All the other double agents um they had to have guards around because they could have been triple agents, right? Mm. Um you know, so so the information that that he sent to the Germans was a kind of like a, a mix of fiction, total bullshit, like the backstories that these people had, but also genuine information that could be checked out and verified but of little military value like oh it rained in Glasgow today, right? <laughs> and then real legitimate valuable military intelligence that would come come across the wire like a day late right and so there'd always be some sort of excuse like uh, oh my hand you know this guy is, had a, his wife had a kid or he was arrested and that's why this real valuable in military information came to you that you can check out and verify but it came a day late And we're back. That's right. Sorry. I had uh, technical difficulties. So, like I said, uh, Juan was producing so much information that the Germans were just, you know, pleasantly overwhelmed with it. And Mm -hmm. in 42, just before the Operation Torch landings in um, North Africa, Garbo's, uh, Agent Garbo, Juan, his fake agent, who was stationed on the River Clyde, reported that a convoy of troop ships and warships had left port, point, uh, and they were painted in Mediterranean camouflage, which was true. This was all true. but the And the letter was sent by airmail and postmarked before the landings, mm-hmm. but he had it deliberately delayed by British intelligence in order to arrive to German high command too late to be useful. So they got... German high command received this intel, which was valuable and totally legit, other than it came from a fake agent. But they received it a day late. Even then, the Germans replied to him saying, quote, We are sorry they arrived too late, but your last reports were magnificent. Wow. So, Such a good idea. It's, br- I mean, it's br- really brilliant. It's just, uh, just like doing a, a lot of content, <clears throat> man. Yeah. Oh, that's what it is. You got to pump it out. You, you gotta, gotta make content, you know. But it's like a fifteen-year-old just... kid watching the newsreels before movies, and then writing to someone about them, mm-hmm. and then someone who hasn't seen the newsreels yet, being like, "Wow, this could be." Oh my god, this guy is good. Yeah. Um. So. Juan had been apparently communicating with the Germans via um, a Royal Dutch Airlines pilot who was willing to carry messages to and from Lisbon for a little bit of the juice, yeah, for some mm-hmm. cash. Ah. 
Scratch. And that meant that the message deliveries were limited to the KLM uh, Airlines flight schedule. So in 43, the Germans asked for a speedier, we need something a little more, uh, you know, quick. Efficient? (laughs) That's right. If we could get something Something that was more like uh, running on time like our trains. Yeah. So, uh, Pujol, to be on, on the, the timeline of the Dutch, you know? <laughs> they're all smoking, whatever, they're, they're all smoking pots and eating some waffle. No, no, not waffle eaters. <laughs> well, they do have the Stroop waffle, don't they? That's right, the Stroop waffle, and that, that's a good snack. So, Pujol and Harris created another fictitious person, a fictitious radio operator. <laughs> Out of sight. Hey, I, yeah, hey if you just listen to us, I'm a fake radio operator. Lisbon, you're on the air. <laughs> I'm a second lieutenant in the Stroop Waffle. It's time for deception. The Stroop Waffle, like the Luftwaffe? Oh, boy. That's really very, funny very to me. Um... <laughs> so this is like another. I mean, he just created. Anytime it was convenient, he just like he can just created you know agents and shit. So um, he's just smoking cigarettes in some fucking Portuguese cafe. Yeah, it seems like it's always fucking convenient. Oh, dude, it sounds like a writer's dream. Like I just yeah. make up fake people. I mean, people may die or live based on the yeah. quality of your fabrications, but go for You're it. You're never gonna be- believe what this crazy Welshman said. <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> it's just so fucking ridiculous. He uh, so he fun. lied about. He, he made up uh, a story about his agent in Liverpool again didn't exist that he had um he had fallen ill just before a major fleet movement from the port of Liverpool and that's why he was unable to report that event so to support that story that agent eventually died and they put an obituary in the local newspaper that was then sent to German High Command to show that, see, I, the fucking, I couldn't tell you because the guy died overnight when I would have got the information about this fleet movement. <laughs> he also persuaded the and Germans His, his name to, was Jeff Jefferson? <laughs> he persuaded My the Germans... My people are dying out here, dude. <laughs> he persuaded the Germans to pay a pension to that agent's widow who also Brilliant. didn't exist. Brilliant. Mm. Yeah. In my mind, she's buxom, though. <laughs> you can All make right. the check out to cash. <laughs> um, so they they now, paid more for buxom. <laughs> Give me the bucks, baby. So, um, in January '44, the Germans tell Pujol that they believe that a large-scale invasion of Europe was imminent, and they were like, "Yo, keep your ear to the ground. Let us know if you hear anything." That invasion was Operation Overlord, which is the invasion of Normandy by the mm-hmm. Allies, and Pujol played a extremely important role in Operation Fortitude, which was the deception campaign to conceal Operation Overlord. Uh, mm. So in other words, he was instrumental in the disinformation campaign to protect the Allied invasion of Normandy, which was instrumental mm-hmm. in changing the tide of World War II, right? Well, I don't, so, I don't know that much about Fortitude. I, I do know about like Patton. Uh, the Germans respected General Patton so much that the U.S. Uh, commanders had Patton with a fake, like, not cardboard, that's exa- but that like is, a fake that army. That is Operation that's Fortitude. Fortitude. Okay. Yes. So, 
during from <laughs> where they have dress up like a woman. <laughs> no, I'm not General Patton at all. I'd like to see the funeral. <laughs> is that is that a knife in your pocket, or are you just happy to see me? <laughs> they, they, they had... why, why don't you come down and find out, my Fura? <laughs> I, I think they, I think they really they had like they would send out like fake articles about Patton and his army. And like tank crews near the beaches, and so the Germans would fly over, and they'd see these these fake tanks. That's exactly right. Without so, knowing that mm. they were fake, right? That was all part of Operation Fortitude. So, from January forty fourth up until D Day, which is June sixth, nineteen forty four, wow. he had sent over five hundred radio messages. Um, at, oftentimes, you know, over twenty messages a day, but all just fake bullshit chatter. Mm-hmm. Um, during the planning for Normandy, the invasion of Normandy, um, he, uh, the, the, the allies kind of like settled on where they wanted to have this fake operation happen. And, uh, it ended up being the Strait of Dover and, uh, Calais in France, which is the opposite end of France. Mm-hmm. So Normandy is the South of France <clears throat> and Calais is the North of France. And it worked. And so the, the, the Germans actually put forces there. They fucking bought it, dude. So, yeah. in dirt, so he, it's really incredible what they did. So Operation Fortitude, they had fake, they had inflatable tanks. That's right. Yeah, infl- yeah. Inflatable boats, a whole fake, fake divisions, all. Yeah. Stationed in Calais, the radio messages that they sent, all of the correspondence that was sent was talking about Patton being there and that mm-hmm. this and that um, this was the real invasion. So uh, Pujol had basically convinced high command, German high command, uh, that there were 75 divisions in Britain when really there was mm-hmm. like 25 or 50 and that mm-hmm. the entire invasion of Normandy was a diversion for the real invasion, oh. which was supposed to be in Calais. Really? Um, yeah. The, <laughs> but those said, people were all Nerf or <laughs> yeah, Lego. They, they or, were basically yeah. Nerf. Well, the Lego people were in Sweden in their, in their Volvo tanks. And he said that, you know, they said that there was like the first U.S. Army group of 11 divisions, which was like a quarter of a million men led by Patton, was all in Southeast Britain waiting to invade Calais. So the Germans sent a I mean, there were fake planes, fake radio messages, fake tanks. Uh, Uh (laughs) Guys in towers with coconuts for earphones. Exactly. It was like fucking the the second act of Stargate. It was incredible. They were were smashing them together like they had horses. Oh, yeah. (laughs) You know what? The good thing about these horses, they work work great as radio. (laughs) When they're done. So... The German high command was so convinced by Agent Garbo or Agent Arabelle or whatever you want to call him, Juan. Juan they, Garcia. That's right. Juan Pujol Garcia. <laughs> that they kept... How many divisions? i got to look at my notes here. They kept two armor divisions and 19 infantry divisions in Calais all the way up until August, which is... Two and a half months, three months after D-Day, they they thought there Damn. was another one coming. They they were even after they even even after he had sent information to Germany saying that he sent information to Germany saying that this 
that Normandy, which was supposed to be a diversionary invasion, was so successful that they aborted the invasion of Calais. But they were so uh, convinced by his prior intel that they kept entire divisions and in wow. uh, infantry there for basically till the end of summer. It's huge. Yeah. It, 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 it is one of the most probably single important individual efforts uh, yeah. that, that turned the tide of the war. Um, yeah, to keep the Nazis on the beach. Yeah. yeah it's crazy. Beach. Sunning. Oh, Nazis sunning, love the beach. Drinking <laughs> ales or Bavarian It's beer. a beach Nazi party. What's <laughs> to worry about? <laughs> the engaging forces should be here soon. Don't, don't get too much of a tan, otherwise we'll kick you out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So... <laughs> So, uh, for his job over these, uh, let's say, three, four years, he was paid the equivalent of, at the time, $340,000 to support his network of 27 agents. What that is in American dollars is probably a million dollars. He had, like, one of those, uh, those farms of, like... You know, all these people adopt kids. Server bots. Yeah, exactly. He had a whole army of server bots that didn't <laughs> exist, and he was just collecting Bitcoin mining money. It was really brilliant. Yeah. So even so, after so, you know, D-Day happens shortly after the. You know, we drop a couple of bombs on what do you call them, John? <laughs> oh, sorry, what? Well, D-Day. I'm happened. sorry, what? The, well, the war ends after D-Day, but after we drop a couple of bombs. Um, <laughs> I forget what you call them. Civilians? But... Are, you saying, are, you about, are you talking about the good Japanese people? That's right. That the good people about? of, uh, yes, of... Um, yeah, <laughs> of the Rising Sun. The Nippon, as it's called, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, so the war ends, and... Oh, this is as just right around the war's ending, but for his service to the German Wehrmacht and the Third Reich, no. as Agent Alaric, a.k.a. Juan Pujol Garcia... He's awarded the Iron Cross by Hitler himself. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's normally, that award is normally reserved for frontline fighting men. And like I said, it requires Hitler's personal signature. Yeah. Okay. It was presented via radio because he's, you know, overseas. And he um, received the physical medal from one of his German handlers after the war ended. So even after the war ended, he maintained his cover. No way. Yes. That's going to be Agent, fun at parties, though. At age, like... as, as, as Agent Garbo. <laughs> uh, and I got an Iron Cross. As Agent Garbo, member of the uh, British uh, MI5, in November 1944, just a few years after becoming an um, Iron Cross holder, he received mm-hmm. a member of the British Empire from King George VI. No. And he, so... <laughs> <laughs> the Na- the Nazis never realized they had ever been fooled, and he, he Pujol earned the distinction of being one of probably really probably the only one that we know about to receive decorations from both sides of world of the of the over war two. That's amazing, absolutely incredible. <laughs> and what's the uh, Iron Cross for, Juan? Literature, fan fiction. I mean, really, the power of the, pe- the pen really is mightier. The medium was yeah. letters. Yeah. So after yeah. the Second World War, he moved back to Madrid with his wife. Um, he was super mad, paranoid about getting found out by the Nazis that he would that he was a double agent and still in Spain. But 
Um, he even neglected to go to the German embassy in Madrid to collect his last like 20,000 peseta check. Smart move. Uh, but wow. so, so his wife just went in, flashed her tits, and picked him up, picked it up. <laughs> Are you being serious? <laughs> she didn't flash her tits, but she was a she beautiful was buxom. Woman. Right. She was very buxom. Oh, the buxom, yeah. <laughs> she collected the yeah. check for him. Um, yeah. Then he um, tits falling all over the keyboard. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> Even a typewriter Sloppy mess Oh god It's like You could just throw Our tits on a keyboard It's like a Ouija board <laughs> <laughs> So Then Because he's so paranoid He um, What everybody thinks happened and Is that he went on Another secret mission With MI5 To Angola And then died of malaria In 1949 Oh no uh-huh. But that's Not what but happened That's the official version Right not. That's the official story, but he moved to Venezuela with Why? Ice. Why? Why would you go to South America? That's where they all are. Well, yeah. That's well, not why. Venezuela, though. <laughs> They're not in Venezuela. They're in Argentina. Mainly in Argentina, some in yeah. Brazil. Brazil. But yeah, Venezuela's, like the soccer. Venezuela's, you know, pretty far removed from Argentina and Brazil. Brazil's a big country. So Argentina's crazy. on the other side. But And Venezuela at the time was, you know, um, the, the new frontier. So you can yeah. kind of go disappear there, and and everyone mm-hmm. speaks Spanish, right? So he goes yeah, to Venezuela, true. and uh, shit gets kind of on the rocks with his wife, because she's like, "Why are you hating out? Why are you such a pussy? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what? You helped defeat the Nazis, but you can't fuck me. That kind of stuff." Oh. Uh, <laughs> You're just making shit yeah, up. Yeah, that part I made okay, up. I just stole okay, that. I just okay, stole okay, that from nice. Blow. Have you seen the movie Blow? Oh, do you not to fuck me anymore? So anyway, but she gets fed up with his bullshit because he's mad paranoid and and like, it's just it's just annoying. Not, yeah, and he's got you know, shit on his mind, man. Yeah. So uh, a lot of ins, a lot of outs, a lot of what have you. So um, she they have a divorce. And um, he lives in Venezuela where he lived in relative anonymity running a bookstore and like a gift shop and shit. And oh, I think he, he had some oh, kind of self, God. well, he had some like self-loathing, <laughs> self-loathing about one, the paranoia. About, about a retail lifestyle? <laughs> no, oh, about one being, he was paranoid about everything found out. Yeah, that makes sense. Because, yeah. you, know, the, you know, the Nazis did, yeah, denazification happened, but you don't just erase a complete ideology that quickly, right? Like, People escaped. The ideology survived. There were neo-Nazis at the time, so he was just yeah, still yeah, very paranoid yeah. about it, and um, and also yeah, he, felt, he, was, he felt kind of insecure about his lot in life after being such an instrumental, self-made. Um, but why? It seems like his, his his contribution was largely positive. It, no, that's the thing. And then he moved, and then he basically, in perhaps his now, opinion, now what? Kind now, of thing? And now what? Now what do I do? What does Michael Jordan do after the NBA? Right? It's like, oh fuck, do I just gamble now? What do I do? Mm-hmm. So, and, 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 do I just get do, my dad do, killed? Do, do you think the whole idea of, of no honor or anything like that would you know? I think that was just something that he. I think that was something that a young man sure sure says about himself yes i think he was i think he was 19 it's it's something that a young man says about himself when getting washed out of a system that he doesn't uh vibe with right it it Uh, it is very fascinating the the age how how age is so important i was uh on reddit there was a picture of uh gavrilo Gavrilo prince he was 19 when he killed franz ferdinand 
Jesus. Mm. And you, you know, you know, when you're that age, you know, you don't. Young you, Serbian you, man, too. Right? In all, in all fairness, Aaron, I would say that I, I disagree. That I do think that he probably actually legitimately felt that he wasn't that type of soldier. You know oh, what I mean? certainly. So, and I would say that thing about myself to this day. Like, I don't, I don't feel. Well, I don't know. Circumstances definitely have yeah, a huge true. influence on who you are in 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 life. But you know, as a nineteen year old person myself, when I was nineteen, I don't think I would have had the discipline or the sense of honor or the sense of whatever to do that. But yeah. I think, you know. You can. I think it's just also an understanding of of of, of your abilities, though. It's but kind I, of, I do think that I'm he sure. was in generous and loyal and honorable, but not to the system that he found himself in. Yeah, right. He maybe probably so, had to, but find his own way to contribute because to it wasn't the greater, be, yeah, to the to society at large, right? Because right. I don't. He clearly was disillusioned by the um, the Republican regime of uh, Parliament of Spain at the time and also clearly right. disgusted by the fascist uh, movement. So I think it took him, you know, he found what at the time was a superior, uh, morally superior empire uh, with the British, yeah. in his opinion. And then mm -hmm. he did display, I think, generosity, honor, and loyalty. Uh, so I think it just depends on where those yeah. energies are directed. But I think that's I think that's a, a good a good way of saying it. I think yeah. it's also uh, Im important to realize that keeping a sense of agency kind of keeps your morals afloat. If you're Couldn't not fucking, if you're not uh, doing what you're told, and you're not really into that, then you're not really going to have to do anything that you don't feel is unbecoming. Exactly. He made himself indispensable on his own terms, right? So yeah. he said, okay, you, I, come at, I come at you three times for a job interview, and you don't want me. I don't like what any of the people in my country are doing. So I'm just going to do what I think is right, and I'm going to start it on my own, and eventually you guys are going to hear about me, which mm -hmm. they did, and then yeah. they came asking for his help. Which yeah, I think yeah. is probably the most impressive part of the story. Sure, you can mm -hmm. write, I mean, 27 different narratives, fake agents is totally incredible, but it's nothing that Stephen King didn't do, right? But the start, <laughs> sure, sure. you know, starting but out. Also, I mean, that has a great function. I mean, you know. Without, nobody, oh, I mean, it's, yeah, yeah, I'm not, to, not to belittle that aspect of the story, but to go out and say, mm -hmm. I'm going to just start my own DIY disinfo campaign mm -hmm. against the Nazis and by proxy yeah. or by uh, by proxy the, the fascists in my own country and then you're going to come asking for me you're going to hear mm -hmm. about me and you're going to come asking for me that's the most mind-blowing part of this is that one person with their own created his own demand it's uh, of yeah. empires he yeah. had he had the empire two of the big two of two of the biggest empire, the two biggest empires in the world who were at war with each other came to this guy for help. Right. And gave him medals at the end. Both of them. Yeah, both of them. And he had a big titty wife, which is pretty nice. And she can't type because they're falling all over the nipples are making typos everywhere. Sick. I mean, how many people were decorated by both sides? Not... Uh, I mean, it's amazing. Him, him, him. <laughs> yeah, who actually didn't help both yeah. sides. Yes, exactly. Right. So he was. Well, a true, I mean, he, he did specifically help one side for right. sure. Yeah. But both sides gave him the middle. So he's one of few, if not the only. It may. It's 
you know, back at you know, record keeping necessarily wasn't that great. It was pretty good on the German side, but they burned a lot of them. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, he, like I said, he faked his death of malaria in Angola in 49, moved to Venezuela, lived in relative anonymity. And um, on the 40th wife. anniversary of D-Day, he was contacted um, by some by a British reporter who was doing just deep, deep dives into the um, history of espionage in the war. And he, mm. he, this guy, I forget his name, but he basically had one of his contacts call every Garcia in Barcelona Whoa. <laughs> to find out who this guy was. And they found out who he was. He contacted him. And after basically convincing him that he wasn't a fucking Nazi got him to like reunite with some of his contacts in Britain and got he in June of 84 Pujol traveled to Normandy to tour the beaches and paid his respects to the dead. Wow. And, um, he died in Caracas, Venezuela in 88. Damn. Holy shit. And that's the story of Juan Pujol Garcia. Wow. Very, very nice. Agent Garbo. Pretty crazy Agent shit. Garbo. That's so yeah. Good. Pretty crazy shit, That's huh? Just yeah. Super, super crazy. Yeah, I've always been fascinated with that double agent stuff mm-hmm. and the, uh, you know, the life of the, constant paranoia know. and terror. Yeah, I mean, it's you know, it's probably a lot less if you're in Lisbon in a fucking cafe. You know what I mean? But and there's not cameras everywhere. There's not phones that they can listen right. to you on. Yeah. But but almost, also, I mean, you know it. It's not that level of double agent where you got to get picked up by your handler and then go, you know, and talk to the people you're fucking over and like in all in the same day, you know. Right. But it's he, but he not just the movie double a, agent thing. But he crafted is. enough of a good story. That it was. With 27 other fake patsies. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, that. That's, but yeah, the that's South America thing is. I would be equally afraid of. Uh, being found by uh, Nazis there as well as Nazi hunters, you know, sure. Because yeah. yeah, it was like they were all going to South America for that reason. Yeah. The <laughs> Nazi the hunter war. thing, you know, is is something I I can't believe that we haven't touched on yet. I know because it's such a cinematic and poetic um type of yeah. story, right? And it's and, crazy. And there's, you know, and there's, there's like illegal, presumably. I mean, you're yeah, but there's man. like, there's like five very famous Nazi hunters. Yeah. And mm. um, it's, it's, it's a very, I mean, other than Magneto. <laughs> <laughs> Magneto makes six. Yeah, he's probably top. Yeah. He's, he's probably the he's best Nazi favorite, hunter. Yeah. He's traveled to Argentina, found these fucking German bastards. Oh man, he's um, good. Don't just be a nah, just best a. Uh, wow, that's like three podcasts in a row we've done that. Oh, yeah. Uh, twice, twice like, you know, right now on Amazon, they've got that Hunters uh, series yeah. with Al Pacino. Yeah. Uh, and he plays a Nazi hunter. And it's, it's um, Ooh, yeah, uh, it's maybe something we should touch on at some point. But, yeah, they all went to For sure. Work. I have something that I think predates that a little bit but is in kind of the same category uh of I'm, Nazi I'm, hunting? I'm queuing up yes very much like the uh you know um freedom fighter for a great atrocity uh, type of thing 
Yeah, it was kind of like more like the Freedom Fighter house, but then like they all became like founding Israeli people. Mm. And then, you know, like Ariel there's, Sharon there's, type of stuff. There's, a, mm. there's an interesting, you know, kind of like series of events that happens there. Yeah, I mean, people, um, people a lot of people don't know, like Ariel Sharon, who was the first prime minister of Israel, mm-hmm. you know, he scalped people. Yeah, he allowed <laughs> uh, crazy a, atrocities. He was happen. a pretty brutal guy. Yeah. Uh, but one can. At the end of his life, he Not did try to be more of a consensus. Yeah, of course, of course. Person. As a young man, you're always a little crazier, but also the circumstances <laughs> do dictate sometimes your behavior. So one can, for sure, one can sympathize yeah. with. Yeah. Although you, you may not forgive, a, you may a sympathize machine, with like death camp thing. You yeah, might you be, uh, a few scalps here or there, maybe. Yeah. Do you might be kind of like, uh, <laughs> man, I need to up my savagery, yeah, <laughs> because I, I haven't been keeping keeping up. That's right. So, yeah, there is a thing that you, that you, you know, keeping uh, up with the Browns, <laughs> yeah, yeah, the Browns, the Von Browns. So, uh, yeah, that, you was, like that? that was fantastic. That I was really great. like that. Holy shit. Um, I, I, that's another thing, too. I think we haven't gone into enough is just double agents, double agents, yeah, yeah. I mean. So yeah. important is, I mean, of course you can't, at least for the vast majority of uh, history of war, you can't replace boots on the ground. Uh, but the, there is such a crazy, crazy narrative to the intelligence aspect of war that oh, yeah, we yeah. should definitely maybe tap into a little bit more. because. And actually, I, I read one, this was maybe six months ago, almost a year ago, I read one about and I, the most decorated spy in world war ii was a woman yes and it, uh, yeah. that that book is a codename lease yes incredible yeah. story or? uh spelt, <laughs> but also very spiritually womanly. buxom sure spiritually buxom. yeah <laughs> a beautiful woman uh tales of <laughs> love and buxom. intrigue and deception and heroism mm-hmm. movies were made about her very very yeah. very i would say a female audie murphy oh uh, that's a good call yeah and audie murphy oh, yeah. is another profile that we should do yeah, um, the uh, yeah, just the uh, the 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 high wire nature of it, and and the um, I think falling into both roles. Yeah, you know, and not even knowing who you really are thing is kind of very interesting. Yeah, I mean, but what the, would you do if you're in a fucking prison camp and you, you feel like you're gonna die unless you roll on your compatriots or suck somebody's yeah. dick? Like, boy. Yeah. Yeah, that was a big thing too, though. You know, like with the when it came to the the Revolutionary War in Ireland, is the main reason Michael Collins won was was cracking the intelligence thing. You know, there was one night where oh, okay. he I think executed uh, like fifteen informers in one night, and then the British Army just threw a tank out into the Irish like uh, Gaelic <laughs> football stadium and just started lighting people up. That was their response. That's how you uh, knew that he was right. When they, right. they respond, he struck a nerve. Yeah, yeah, and so and they killed like a, a guy. One guy just like they rolled the tank out, and this guy just kicks the football over it and keeps playing. And then they shot him. Oh boy! And then they just they just started lighting up people in the stands. Game on! But it was it, it was the uh, the the destruction of the intelligence network is what won the war hands down. It you always does. Who that guy was that guy yeah. sounds amazing. The guy yeah. to uh, hide the guy that kicked the football <laughs> over the fucking tank. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, 
fourteen. We got fucking Kunt was in the game at footy. Push us back, we got a third team on the fucking field. Fucking bullshit. Somebody throw a yellow at him. It's a fucking red card. Let's get this out before my battery dies again. Hey, that was Aaron. That was a wonderful profile. I really like that a lot. I'm really glad you did. Boys, I love you very much. I'm going to mm-hmm. say goodnight. My name is John Fahey. I'm Aaron Pita. Matt Brousseau. Good night, everybody. We love you. Good night. Starbanks Avenue, a podcast. <clears throat> a podcast network.